0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Hope everybody had a good weekend, stayed safe, had some fun. I don't know what y'all were up to, but I'm sure that it was probably better than what I was doing because I was working. I'm joined by my boy, my homie. We haven't heard from him in a few weeks, partially because of me it's scheduling, partially because this guy's just super busy, man. Mr. Greg Manakis, what's going on, Greg? Well, it's good, man. I'm happy to be back. They tried to silence me. They tried to silence me. They tried to keep me off the airwaves, but I'm back, baby. Is that what they're doing to you, huh? Yeah, they're trying to hold me down, man. Oh, man, we can't yeah. be having that, man. Who are these they? We need to go and attack these they
1: um the the they you know they're the not the they that's in the news these days right it's it's not the 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 pronoun they and how the, the pronoun they is being used these days it's just a it's just a they that's out there you know what i mean they're just like in the void floating around they are everyone everything. they are they are everyone
0: <laughs> they are anonymous <laughs> they are
1: <laughs> exactly
0: oh man please don't come for us um I'm, i don't want to be we're not important life. enough yeah i'm happy about that i don't know about you <laughs> i don't want to reach that level of notoriety 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 We was right the first time man we was right the first time <laughs> so what have you been up to man What's what's been going on over these last few weeks um, yeah i think a
1: couple weeks ago was what my parents were in town um they were visiting me in here in austin for the first time since like 2014 it was kind of like a running joke with my family that like they weren't going to come visit me because they were hoping that I would move back to Boston before they would even have to come visit me in Austin. So they visited me in 2014. They haven't been back. My brother and my sister both have kids, so um, they're always, They're always up there in Boston. But it was great, man. It was just great to kick it with the fam. Um, Thanksgiving was awesome, and then last night I was at this big event for my boy Diego Lozano, who's his big time music video director. He directs all my music videos. Um, he was just premiering a film it was a 50 minute film called, can you feel the sun for this, uh, e- like alt EDM group down here called Missio. So I got to go to this big event last night. Um, you know, got to dress up, take pictures, um, look cool in front of my girlfriend, try and bring her to these fancy events every once in a while. So she thinks I'm cool. She sees me like hanging out with people that we watch at music, vid- at music festivals. And, um, it, it makes me look a lot cooler than I actually am.
0: Man, sometimes that's the best way, though, right? Like, um, I keep joking with my wife, like, man, you're gonna come with me on a trip to Boston one day. Somebody's gonna <laughs> start recognize my voice and be like, "No way, you're Adam." Um, I'm like, and that's what I'm, I'm living for that right now. You know what I mean? So uh, I understand that looking cooler than what you are, uh, what you really are. But let me tell you, man, you're pretty darn cool. Thank you, I appreciate that. And like, yeah, I, I know we've talked about this before,
1: but like, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time and maybe haven't heard us talk about this before. Adam Taylor is six foot three, six foot four. Like you might not realize it from his voice. You might not realize it from his personality, but this is a large man. I remember the first time I found out that you were six, four. I was just like, what dude? Like you're six foot four. you know, it's funny because you look like my friend, Chris, my friend, Chris Joyce, like you literally look like him and he's five foot eight, five foot nine. So I kind of always just assumed you were five, eight, five, nine. So if you come to Boston and people don't, actually it was just probably hilarious to you right you're a big dude you've considered yourself big your whole life and here i am thinking i'm talking to a 5'8 dude like i'm talking to will and uh no shots (laughs) so if you come to boston right and everyone sees you and they hear your voice like are they going to recognize you if they don't know that you're six foot four i feel like we need to like make people understand that you are large and in charge so when you come to boston like oh shoot there's a big dude with
0: with the english accent that's got to be adam taylor yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more like six two. I'm six three, but I'm closer to six two than I am to six four. If that makes sense. Okay. So put yeah. me put me in some sneakers, and I'm probably you know around about that six three and a bit type of height. There you go. Definitely. Yeah. I oh, well, you know. all height.
1: All height is with shoes, right? I didn't like when the NBA did that thing where they they got rid of the height, you know, and everyone went from like seven feet to six nine. It's like you wear three inch shoes, dude. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs>
0: yeah all i know is i'm tall enough that every time i go to the grocery store somebody somewhere is asking me to reach them after top shelf. <laughs> you know what i mean just like hey could you uh could you do you mind just uh do you mind just passing me that down please oh that's so nice of you thank you i couldn't reach and i'm there like not even tiptoeing i'm just grabbing it like i'm just some diplodocus pulling down a tree <laughs> it's like uh man i i I had a growth spurt at 14 i went from five foot six to six foot one in the space of like four months i like yeah so i'm in like ninth yeah so i'm like eighth grade i'm quite you know i'm a bit short for my age chubby i go away for the for like the um this what we call it the summer holidays you know like we have six weeks Mm -hmm. off in the summer and then we go back like and um i go away i come back and i'm six foot one skinny and like all of a sudden, I'm dominant on a basketball court where before I was getting bullied a little bit. Because then you you're probably getting all the babes too, right? Well, that that was a byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely because obviously, as you grow, all that that baby fat just disappears, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you are just like this six foot. Yeah, dude, I was uh, I was fortunate. And then I only grew enough. In my head, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to the NBA. If I'm this tall at 14, by the time I'm 21, I'm going to be like 6'10", 6'11". ten, six eleven. I'm just I'm I'm destined for greatness. <laughs> Turns out I grew another two inches the rest of my life, dude.
1: <laughs> hey, man, I made it to six
0: feet, six one in shoes, so I'm happy with that. And don't you find it weird? Like, I've, I've been next to people that are six foot and I feel like I'm the same size as them, but then I'm next to someone that's like six three and I realize, no, I'm the same size as you. Like, it's such a relative, like six to six three is such a small height difference when you actually stand next to each other. But you go and put me against someone 6'10", and, like, like my uncle's 6'7", and uh, I find wow. it really weird that I have to look up to him. Like, I'm, like my neck is up. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's yeah, bizarre to
1: One of my homies down here in Austin, uh, he played at New Mexico with Tony Snell. Uh, his name's AJ Hardiman. Um, he's, like, 6'7", right? And I hang out with him all the time. We hoop together. And, like, over time, like, when I first met this dude, I was like, dude, you are so tall. And now that I hang out with him all the time, I don't think of him as that tall anymore. Like when he when he initially like walks into a room and takes up the entire door frame, I'm like, oh, you're you're very tall. But now when he stands next to me, I used to feel like I would do that. Right. I'd have to like look up at him. But now being next to someone that's six, seven all the time, I feel like I'm six, three now, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like for I'm, real, man. I'm just like holding myself up in in with like almost more confidence because I'm next to someone so tall and so cool.
0: See, i would love to have people that like friends that were taller than me, but unfortunately I'm I'm the big dude instead so of all just like, Hey man, let's go let's go to the bar and then they'll be getting themselves in trouble and then like try and bring me involved yeah, and stuff. For sure.
1: and no, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. not tough. Me and Will are not tough guys, so uh yeah, when if we that's go to the, the I'm high, high, dude. High, I'm not, high. I'm not
0: about that life. Do you know what I mean? I'm a family man. I'm, I'm definitely wanna, not about that life. I want to come home and like watch Frozen or something with the kid, man. <laughs> talking about getting me in trouble at a bar, Are you playing it, <laughs> but uh, it happens, you know, because I'm just like they just look. Like, oh, you're big. They won't, they won't. No, they're still they'll beat me up because you've upset them. So please don't cause any more trouble. So now just don't go out to bars.
1: Yeah, my my thing is so like I'm I'm six feet, like 185, 190 pounds. My weight fluctuates, so like I'm a I'm relatively big, um, but like I'm just not a fighter, bro. I'm just not a fight. Like I don't have that in I don't have that in me at all. Like I've you been see, in like do one it. Or two
0: fights. My whole I'd life. I do it for sport because lifting weights bores me to the point of I just if I didn't do combat sport, then I would be terribly terribly out of shape and i'm out of shape now Mm. because of covid and you know the sports i do are so close contact i'm a little bit apprehensive to go back properly but like um so i've done it for like what 14 15 probably about 18 years now but i do it because if i didn't do that i'd probably already be like uh, diabetic and obese because i just it's (laughs) the only way i can for me i say to everybody i will not pay money to continue to continuously count to 10 because that's what that's what you're doing you sit down i'm going to yeah. push some heavy stuff one two three four five six seven eight nine ten right 30 seconds break i'm going to count to 10 again this is great
1: i'm yeah. just
0: like and then sometimes you're like, i'm going to switch it up and count to five one two yeah and i'm just like nah dude i'm not paying like 20 30 a month to just count i can do that at home for free with an abacus dude that and, is freaking hilarious my
1: my when i go to the gym real quick we, we're almost 10 minutes in we haven't talked about the Celtics. so we got to transition in a second but when i go to the gym right I, I can't do cardio. I just hate doing cardio more than anything in the world. Like if you tell me to go on a treadmill, I'm like, all right, I'll go for like two minutes and then like, maybe, maybe I'll get to five minutes, but I know that you're supposed to do 20 to 30 minutes of cardio. So I just pick five, I pick like four or five machines and I do five minutes on each machine. That's like normally how I do my cardio. Cause I'm like, all right, I can, I can handle that. Right. But if you're telling me just, Oh, I'm, I'm running on this moving, um, whatever it's called, um, moving conveyor belt for like 25 minutes no thank you man like that doesn't sound fun at all give me a basketball and let me just go like hoop for a little bit and then that would be
0: my cardio so now i'm gonna run and count to 60 25 times because i'm counting down the minutes (laughs) and then i'm gonna lie on a bench and count to 10 repetitively like no thank you bro just let somebody try and kill me for like you know Seven or eight five minute rounds after we're doing do and I guarantee you, no matter how tired I get, I'm gonna fight through it because I don't want to get beaten up, and that's always been my mentality with it. And obviously, the byproduct of it is like you actually get better at doing that. But mm. like, um, you know, like people, are, like I've been out to bars, my boys are like, oh, he he does X, Y, and Z, and he look at the so I'm like, dude, I don't. I, just because I do it for fun doesn't mean I'm actually good at it. It just means that I don't like count it to ten for thirty dollars a month. That's it, man. So just mm. leave me out of your business, man. Right. We'll, we'll transition now. So, something new for for the shows on a Sunday. This is gonna we're gonna be running this consistently every Sunday, so you know what you're gonna get from Greg and myself. Uh, big props to Greg. He put this together. We're not gonna ta- we're gonna go break this down as we do it because otherwise we're just gonna tell you it all and then go through it anyway, so it's pointless. So the first thing we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at a weekly progress report. Greg, I want to let you go first. Which player would you like to do your progress report on?
1: I wasn't planning on doing this guy because I feel like we talk about him a lot and he gets most of the headlines, but I want to talk about Jason Tatum because, you know, although he's been up and down, man, you know, that's four great games from him back to back to back to back. And this is, you know, I know he had that one stretch in which he had four 30-point games early, I think it was in November, but I think that the way he's playing basketball now is almost peaked Jason Tatum, right? So the first one, first game was against Toronto, and Tatum struggled shooting and um, driving against them all year due to their length and activity. Like Toronto's a team that seems to just give him fits because they're so active and so long on defense. But I love how that he has figured out how he can beat the Raptors without scoring. So he had a career-high 10 assists against the Raptors. The last time we played the Raptors, he also did a really good job distributing. He had seven assists um, but he never stopped shooting in that game, right? So he was eight for 24 and in the game against the Raptors last week, he did, he knew he didn't have a shot and he capped out at 16 shots and he was okay with allowing the rest of the, the rest of the team to win the game on offense. So that was a nice development that I saw from Tatum. And I know you and Will talked about how, how great it was to see him distributing at the level that he was. Um, but that was the first, you know, time I saw Tatum really start to understand how much he can impact the game, just passing the ball. And then in game number two, he dominates in a completely different way. You know, Udoka had a really interesting strategy starting the two bigs and most of the double teams, especially early in the game were he was sending Horford and Robert Williams at Joel Embiid to double team, right? A lot of time double teams come with like a wing or a guard trying to double the big and they sent double bigs in the double team, which I thought was really interesting. I hadn't really seen too many teams do that before and Tatum it was necessitated for Tatum to rebound, and he did. He had nine first half rebounds. Um, he's been great rebounding all year, uh, but in that game in particular, we needed him to step up and be the big time rebounder because Horford and Robert Williams had so much, um, had so much to worry about blocking out Embiid and double teaming Embiid. So he dominates the game on the boards in that game. And then against Utah, which I thought up until last night, I thought was probably his best game of the season. You know, he only shot two for 11 from three, and I wish that he had driven Gobert a little bit more in those ISO situations, but man, he was almost flawless in that game. He had zero turnovers. I thought his shot looked great. You, I think the last time I was on here, you and I um, were talking about Tatum's shot and his mechanics. I think that his mechanics are starting to come around. It really looks like on his follow-through, he's really snapping that follow-through off, and he's it, it looks like he's focusing on his follow-through, which is something that I thought he was a little too nonchalant in his release earlier this year. And then he had seven baskets in the paint and looked strong with his handle. And then he carried that into last night's game against um, against the Trailblazers where everything that he was doing was with force. And if Jason Tatum is playing with force and when he drives to the basket, one play in particular that stands out to me, um, I forget who he beat off the dribble, I think it was Covington, he jumps off two feet, right? He kind of like skips into a hop step to explode through Nurkic and finish at the rim. And earlier in the season, I feel like he would have landed on two and faded away to the baseline or landed on two and faded towards the foul line to avoid taking that contact. But man, he the way that he's playing right now is just like, a completely n- a new level for him. I know he's been dominant in years past, but the way that his game is coming along in all facets is just if if he starts scoring with the way that he's playing as a distributor and the way that he's playing on defense and the way that he's rebounding, this is a Jason Tatum that should be in the in the conversation for second team All NBA or third team All NBA. And it you know I think Will mentioned it on, on one of the last pods. The dirty little secret, everything about Jason Tatum's game has improved except for his shooting this year. And I got to give him his props this year, man. I thought this was not only one of the best weeks for the team, but definitely one of Jason Tatum's best weeks. What are your thoughts? It's crazy how
0: that coincides, right? Mm -hmm. Like for me, like, you know, I'm not saying this team can only go as far as what Tatum takes them because I feel that's disingenuous to the other talent around them. But everybody seems to find their groove when Tatum finds his groove because you have that confidence knowing you've got your go-to scorer that's actually going to be able to get you a bucket when your back's against the wall. Um, you were talking about like the way he was getting to the bucket, you know, with that hop, step, and then going straight into contact. I think another thing that I've noticed is his decision-making is rapidly, um, like, rapidly improved. If you look at there was a possession so earlier, there was a really good possession against Portland um, at the beginning of the game where he kind of gets the ball um jab steps one way and goes the other way but it's all in like such a fluid motion and i think even mike gorman was like man that was fast and he's doing that a bunch now what he's also doing it intelligently enough to split the defense like uh, he's trying to get through the gap he's shooting the gap on the defense to create that open lane to the hoop and then he's just going to live with the results he's either going to get to the rim and finish and i think his uh finishing around the rim has been vastly improved over the last four or five games but he's also trying to draw that contact because I don't think he's scared of absorbing that contact now. You know, he, I think he's realizing that he's far stronger than most of the people he's going to go up against consistently. So I, I think that that plus the way the Celtics are running like inverted screening sets to get the mismatches for Tatum so he can bully guys with his back to the basket. There was a play, was he, I think it was against Utah. It might have been, Yeah, I think it was against Utah. It was because it's Jordan Clarkson. And he was posting him up and he was baiting him. He was leaving the ball out a little bit, dropping that shoulder, coming back, dropping the shoulder, coming back, Mm -hmm. waiting for Jordan Clarkson to bite. As soon as Jordan Clarkson shot him for the steal, he just spun him off and then it was an open lane to the hoop. That wasn't by mistake. That play was designed in Tatum's head. He knew what he was doing and now he's starting to play that chess game. That was a cat and mouse game. Can I get Jordan Clarkson to bite? Is he going to bite? He's been... Boom, I'm going to go. If he doesn't bite after two or three fakes, maybe I need to, you know, face up or kick it back out and reset the offense. But having the confidence to go into those cat and mouse games and really bait people into mistakes is something that people have done to Tatum time and time again throughout his career. And now he's starting to be the one to dictate the pace of the play, dictate where he wants defenders to move. So he, and he's manipulating the way defenses play him. And that's the sign of somebody that's really getting ready to take that next step is the fact that he can manipulate what other people are doing with his body movements and his head movements.
1: Yeah, and I think that he's playing through his shoulders a lot. And what I mean by that is he's he's recognizing what his body type is and what his strength is in his shoulders, right? If If he's trying to like go 100 percent like through the defense like a like a Jalen Brown might try and split the defense he doesn't quite have the same body type his center of gravity is a lot higher right so if if he can get up in the air earlier and finish through contact through his shoulders then that's going to go a long way versus like Jalen who I think he can he has a much lower center of gravity You know, so the way that he absorbs contact, it's I feel like it's more through his hips, and Tatum's it's like more through his shoulders, just from just from his body type, and also with what you're saying with Clarkson, you know, when if he's playing through his shoulders and using his shoulders to his advantage, similar to how like a LeBron might play through his shoulders, or Kawhi Leonard, I think is probably the best. the best example of that, Kawhi plays through his shoulders so much because if you bump into Kawhi in his shoulders, you're flying backwards. And that's what Tatum's doing. He's, he's kind of leading with that shoulder. And then what he's added a lot to his game over the past couple weeks is that really quick spin move. He's doing a lot of half spins and full spins through his shoulders. He's just like getting that, getting that initial contact and spinning off and, and doing some like, I mean, the, the play that he had on uh, Covington. You know, where he had the Dirk fade at the end of it. That was initially off of a really quick spin move. And, you know, coming, I remember when he first came into the league, one of his patented moves, it was like him and Markel Fultz. They kind of had that Penny Hardaway half spin fadeaway. And he used to go to that all the time. And we don't really see that move from him as much now. But we know that a spin move is in his bag, right? Not every single guy in the league has a good spin move. There's kind of an art to that. Like Andrew Wiggins, who who's also good at that little penny move, that, that clip of him doing the penny move the other day was, was uh, making its way around the internet. But he has a great spin move. Andrew Wiggins, that's probably his best move is his spin move. Um, Pascal Siakam, although he does a lot of spin moves, I don't think has a good spin move. Jason Tatum, I think, has a good spin move. And if he's continuing to do that, especially if he's playing through his shoulders and initiating that contact with his shoulders, man, watch out because not many guys are going to be able to take that initial contact and then brace themselves for the spin and be able to like be on balance for that spin. So I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Tatum, man. I think if, if he can continue to play at this level and I have a stat for um, the fun stat of the week, I'll save that till later, but I want to talk about what Jason Tatum's numbers without Jalen Brown have looked like. Um, so just we're, we'll put that on the back burner for now, but I'm going to come back to that later
0: yeah, I'm more for that discussion. The last thing I'll say about that spin move is people forget how wide his stance is as well. So how much ground he covers when he goes into that spin move because just he he plays with a wide base anyway. And he covers a bunch of ground off that spin move. And that's why he's locking guys up on the back of his hip when he spins off them because he's literally covering enough of a diameter around their body that by the time he's faced back up towards the basket they're on that hip and they're not getting back around him because his shoulders are too broad and he's just so strong in in like his back region. The guy I've got for this week's um, kind of progress report is Josh Richardson. I'm really, really, really loving the Jay Richman. Um, I don't think that it's, fair to kind of judge him on points because, you know, he got coming against Toronto after three games out, hits 18 points. I think he plays a huge part in the W. Then he goes in against Philly, hits seven points, but he's still, in my opinion, played a decent part in that win. Then he comes in and drops 11 against Utah. I think that was important. Only five, so against Portland. So I think judging him by points just isn't fair to Josh Richardson because he's not in a role where he's going to have the ball in his hands often enough to dominate the scoring charts, right? I think for me, it's very much about the the willing to cut, the willingness to cut. The way he that when he does have the ball in his hand, is he's, he's kind of manipulating, engaging the defense before deciding to read and react to what the offense are giving him. He's very intelligent on the way he's up. He's very happy to run. Yeah, I'm very pesky on defense. I'm using the word very a lot just because I really like this dude. Um, <laughs> and then when he does get into the lanes, you know, he wants to finish around the rim. He settles for a couple of mid range pull ups, but that's his shot. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys that if, you, if he's dr- pulling up off the dribble in that mid-range area, I'm okay with that because he, that's his back. That's where he's comfortable. But he's still getting it done in the room as well. I'd like to see him hit a bit more from deep. I know he's not exactly playing terrible from deep, but 50% on, two, on one of two, you know, 33% on one of three, 25% on one of four. Those are his numbers over the last four games. 25% from three against Toronto, 33% against Philly and Utah, and then 50% on one of two shooting against Portland. He's not really firing away from beyond the arc much because he doesn't need to. That's not his game. He'll rather beat the closeout, go to the mid-range and attack there. But I do think if you could get him shooting, I don't know, like 40% on six attempts a night, possibly, Mm -hmm. then you're going to open up so much more in terms of cutting lanes for others or driving lanes for him once he attacks the closeout that that's going to be a huge asset to the team. But all in all, I think what he's bringing for the value that his contract is, for how little people expected from him after, you know, his tough year in Philly. Then he had a tough year in Dallas and now he's in Boston and he's playing really well. I think he's probably, I, I'm not classing Dennis Schroeder as a bench contributor right now because he's been in the starting lineup more than he's been on the bench. Also, I, I do think that Richardson is neck and neck with Grant Williams for the most impactful bench contributor on this roster at the moment.
1: Yeah, so a couple couple things with with his shooting. Um I think it's something like 55% of his three point attempts are catch and shoot threes and he said that he's not as comfortable shooting the three off the catch right he's he's someone that definitely would rather dribble into a shot but you know when when he's shot faking and dribbling he seems to be preferring to go into the mid range right and he's been super efficient from the mid range so like taking more shots from three would probably also coincide with him taking less mid-range and you know getting into the paint less because he as you said he's not going to have the ball in his hands for a ton of opportunities so to ask him to take six threes you're really asking him because he's not going to get you know like six um catch and shoot three opportunities if he wants to drive to the basket he's probably only going to have the ball in his hands maybe like 15 times as a creator, maybe less than that in a game. Where like 15 times where he has the opportunity to take a shot. So like I don't know that I would want to see him take six threes a game because in my opinion that would mean he would probably take two or three less shots from the mid range. And I love what he brings in the mid range. I love what he what he like his decision making in the mid range is great too. He knows where his spots is and where his spots are and he gets there every single time. You know, he's one of those guys, you know DeMar DeRozan is like the epitome of this, right? But that dude just knows like there's four spots on the floor where he can get his shot off, and it, no matter how good the defense is, you're not going to be able to do anything. And Josh Richardson, I think he has like two spots on the floor where he feels like he can get those shots, but he gets there whenever he wants to get there. So I'm super comfortable with him getting to his spots, and I don't think that the way that he plays in the mid-range interrupts the flow of the offense. Well, no, yeah, so like Schroeder, who you know we've been up and down on, who I thought is I think has been playing great lately. When he gets into his mid range, I think it is normally interrupting the flow of the offense josh richardson i think it's all everything he does is within the flow of the offense and then when you add to that the fact that he's been like almost like a second mark is smart on defense he's not quite as impactful as smart is on defense but he is he is so pesky man he's so pesky on defense he can test shots hard he's great at um you know if he gets stuck behind uh coming off a screen if he's in like a lock and trail situation. He can really still contest the shot and contest high. So I love what I'm seeing out of Josh Richardson. And it seems like he's like the the teacher's pet for Ime Udoka. Udoka just loves what Josh Richardson brings. And no matter what's happening, he's going to go to Josh Richardson because he's he's executing what Ime wants on the defensive end and on the offensive end. He's one of those guys that I think from the very beginning of the year understood that Ime was trying to play a certain way and he was playing that way. And it didn't look as good because everybody else around the team around him was not also playing that way. But now I do think that they are. I, I feel like especially over the last couple of games, every single person is starting to understand when I catch the ball, I need to do something immediately. And most of the time it's drive the gap. Marcus Smart started to do it about three, four weeks ago and then Richardson has been doing it all year. Schroeder just started to do it this week. Tatum started to do it over the last couple weeks. So the more and more guys that are doing it, we even seen Grant Williams pump faking and driving to the basket and making things happen, man. Like when everybody has that mentality, Josh Richardson being one of the the guys who's doing it best, it's almost impossible to guard. And that's what you saw over the last couple games. When we have shooting on the floor and spacing with Grant Williams there at the four versus a double big lineup and everybody willing to drive and kick. It's it, it's just a beautiful thing, man. I'm loving what I'm seeing from this team. We're trending in the right direction for sure.
0: So the only thing I want to push back on there is like um where we were talking about the freeze, right? Because I think everything else you're saying is perfect. I think that, you know, I, I tweeted this out. I think it was early in the week where I was like, Josh Richardson is to Udoka, what Evan Turner was to Brad Steve. Yes,
1: you those was genius, for sure.
0: Just a super reliable presence that's been a veteran around the league, never really got given his flowers by anybody, comes in and then gets like the perfect role is just waiting for him to flourish. And I think that that's very much why we're seeing the Josh Richardson, we are under Udoka. And I think that was, um, it, it there's a lot of similarities there. And if R- Richardson can continue this long term in the Celtics go on a good run, then we can start to really cement that as a similarity as well. Um, The reason I said I want to see him shoot more threes is because what I've noticed is when Brown is in the rotation as well, so you have Schroeder and Richardson coming off the bench, what Udoka's tending to do is stagger. I don't know if Tatum's on the floor, maybe it'll be Schroeder with him. If Brown's on the floor, maybe it's Richardson's with him. And Richardson tends to get a little bit more of a usage rate when he's coming off the bench along with Schroeder. I don't know why that is, but that's just the way it feels to me. Some of the games where Richardson's really had um, been ball dominant has been when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both healthy. And I don't know if that's just kind of like um, it's a coincidence or whether there's something well, to that. And I think we're not going to know that for a while. So what, what what I've seen from that is I think Ime
1: understands the importance of Tatum and Brown learning how to play with each other and play off each other. So like I, I've actually seen him. Go to more lineups in which the Jays are both off the court, right? I, I kind of thought I would see uh, like almost 48 minutes. One of those two guys would be on the court and it's not for a long period of time that he has both of them off, but it seems like he, you're right. He wants to go Schroeder, Richardson, um, Grant, Rob, and I don't know, pick pick another bench guy. And there may be like two or three-minute stretches in which it seems like Schroeder and Richardson are on the court together making things happen. So I, there there could be something to that for sure. But one pairing that I'm seeing working really well together is Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum. I feel like Udoka is realizing how much Smart understands how to get Tatum in his spots. And the, the three-man combination of Smart, Rob, and, and Jason Tatum I think if you have those three guys on the court for a majority of the game, like watch out because they play so well together. And then Grant's been playing well in that in that grouping. And I think Richardson just like no matter what lineup you kind of put him in, he's gonna he's gonna thrive. Especially if everyone is understanding that hey, let's just play the way Ime wants us to play.
0: Yeah, I think that that's going to be the, the biggest part, right? Is it? I wrote this. The, uh, when did I write this? I wrote this on Saturday, saying that you know if uh, For the way the Celtics have been playing at the moment, engaging defences, playing on wing actions, getting in, drawing defenders, kicking it back out, setting off ball screens, it takes a buying one through 15. Every Mm -hmm. single player needs to commit to playing that way. And if they don't, then it's just going to fall apart. And I think that what's happening, what we're seeing guys like Richardson who was one of the early adopters of the system that's the best way to call it right like he was an early adopter of the Doka mm-hmm. system now you're getting the buy-in from a couple of the prep it's kind of it's like marketing right you get early adopters then you get buy-in from the most prep from prevalent members of your um like target audience which would be smart Tatum Rob Williams and then everybody else kind of falls in line because the prevalent members of that target audience have bought in And I feel like that's where we're at at the moment. We're starting to see everybody kind of buy in. Obviously, I think that Jalen Brown's kind of found himself like the odd man looking out a little bit because he's still Mm -hmm. dealing with the injury. Everybody else was bought into this system. They're playing in a very specific way. And Brown's been in and out of the rotation so much that he's got to play catch up now. And I think he will get there. I genuinely do. But I think that part of the reason we're seeing him struggling is because everybody else has started to embrace this ball movement and uh, defensive engaging kind of team. And then Jalen Brown's coming in and still playing the way he knows how, rather than the way he needs to play, and mm-hmm. that's where we're getting a bit of that disconnect from.
1: Yeah, and let's get into the fun stat of the week because I, I feel like this is a good time to talk about Jalen. Um, so, just for everyone listening out there, Adam and I each week are going to pick one stat or you know a, a family of stats that we want to talk about um, in the in the recent trends. And with Jalen Brown, right? So, I, I the Celtics have been playing so well during this stretch since November, which basically coincides with when JB went out against the heat. So like JB has missed 10 games since that heat game on November 4th. And that's when the Celtics seemingly have played their best basketball. So is it fair to say that maybe if Jalen had just been, playing and playing healthy that he also would be playing better and understanding the system more or are the Celtics playing better because JB is the guy that wasn't understanding the system and and kind of contributing to the ball stopping right so I don't I don't know it's fair to say that either one is true but what I do have for us are in the 10 games that Jalen Brown hasn't played since his injury in Miami I got some Jason Tatum numbers for you okay so in those 10 games Jason Tatum is averaging 29.7 points per game, 8.9 rebounds per game, 3.8 assists per game, on six point six point three free throw attempts, 46.4 percent field goal percentage, and 41.5 three point field goal percentage in those ten games without Jalen Brown. So, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know the you know that's been kicked around for for months, maybe even years now. Can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play together? What do you make of these numbers with Jalen Brown's absence?
0: Oh, man, it's tough, man, because like I've always believed that one, both of these guys play better when the other one either goes to the bench or isn't in the rotation. And I've said this many a time you don't see them both play very well at the same time often. It happens. But it's like, when it happens, it's a thing, right? Because we're like, man, I can't... This is what they're eventually going to get to. And we've had these discussions and I've wrote the articles and everyone else has done the same. So when you see Tatum playing well without Brown, is that just because Tatum doesn't have to worry about making sure Brown gets his touches? Doesn't have to worry, you know, Tatum's like, right, these are my touches, I'm numerate uno. There's no having to defer to 1B or 1A or whatever. I just do what I do and I'm not going to upset anybody. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe another part of it is, I think, how can I word this? Maybe another part of it is, you've got one guy that, in Tatum that used to be your perimeter scorer and another guy in Brown that used to be your interior scorer. But Tatum's game has evolved so much that he's now a complete free level guy that gets going around the rim and then extends out. And Brown does the same, and there's just, you know, defenses just clog up the paint at that point because if you're just if you only have to worry about Tatum, then you have to, you know, most teams are going to try and stop him around the mid range area. They're going to try and force him into a mid range shot, and then someone's going to come and set a screen, and it's going to open up a driving lane, or Tatum's going to bait somebody. If you've got to worry about Brown and Tatum, well now teams are going to start flooding the paint a little bit more because they they know that cuts are going to come from both directions do you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. so they're gonna funnel you more and then they're gonna pinch their wings in from the perimeter to take away that mid-range and i don't know what sounds crazy as i'm saying it but do you think it's easier to scheme against the two of them than it is to scheme against the one of them in in that they
1: are they they're both kind of you know the the main um initiator of the of of an offense, yes, you know, like the way that they play is very similar. But I think if Jalen buys in to Emay's system, it gets difficult. It gets very difficult because I think he's actually tailor-made to play in EME system. Like if you think about Jalen Brown, his first couple of years in the in the league, he kept things so simple, man. It was like catch and shoot or catch and drive straight line of the basket. And that's really all he's gonna need to do if Tatum is playing at this level, right, where Tatum is the guy and Jalen's like, okay, I see it. I've seen that Josh Richardson can, like, drive closeouts all day. Marcus Smart, how fast does Marcus
0: Smart look playing faster? Oh, it's ridiculous, But the problem is, is is Jalen going to want to buy into that? Jalen spent the last, like, God knows how how many years now, like five years, six Mm. years? And he's spent that long developing, like, a free level scoring repertoire of his own. Like he, yeah. he came into the league, he couldn't shoot a lick from behind the arc, and now he's a very reliable, like pull up shooter. He developed a mid range game. So Jalen Brown has developed this scoring arsenal to be a free level of um, attacking threat in his own right. Why would he then be like, oh, well, because Tatum's getting the opportunity to do free level scoring. I'm just going to be a straight line drive guy and I'm just going to attack closeouts. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't see why, like from Jalen Brown's point of view, why have I spent all these years becoming such a complete offensive player to then be limited in the types of offense that I can generate? For
1: sure. And I guess the, the silver lining to the injury is that you could maybe pitch it to him as like, as you're coming back from the injury, keep it simple you know just like do these things keep it simple and then we'll you know we'll start working you back into that that main role later in the season and like maybe we we never do that you know or maybe it's only in in spurts but jay i mean dude if if you think about what jb could be within the the last two games and the offense that the Celtics have played in the last two games super small sample size but there there are some great numbers for them um, in terms of their offense, recently they're they're just like completely trending in the right direction with their with their offense and their pace numbers. Um, I, I have one pace stat here. So, since November fourth, uh, the Celtics were twenty fifth in the league in pace. Since November eleventh, they were twenty second. Since November eighteenth, they were sixteenth. In the last two games, they've been eleventh. Right. So, pace is measured number of possessions per forty eight minutes. So, s- since November fourth, they've jumped. Uh, what? how many stats that's like 14 spots if you just look at the like the last two game sample size um so like if JB is playing fast in with the rest of the guys playing fast dude JB is the is the perfect guy to play within this system if he buys into that role but you're right like it's tough to check that ego man once you've developed to into the all star that you have, like it's, that's a lot to ask of someone to take that back seat. Then you're throwing like- the
0: ball handling, dude. He he developed mm-hmm. an, a whole t- a whole tighter handle this year, so yeah. maybe you know the only other option you've got is we see Dennis Schroeder operating as a as a secondary ball handler alongside Tatum. The realistic expectation is that Jalen Brown just takes over that usage rate in the starting lineup and is your second side action ball handler. At mm-hmm. which point you're giving him everything that Schroeder has. You know what I mean? You're saying you can score however you need to score, but if you keep isoing, we're gonna pull you back out because you're not playing the way we need you to play.
1: Yeah. And I, and I Tro- think that Schroeder's been great, man. Like the last has, I nice mean Tro- like
0: I hate, to admit, awesome. it. hate to admit but he has. <laughs> he has.
1: I know I in our in our Celtics Legend chat. Shout out to everybody in the Celtics Legends Twitter Twitter group. I, I like I log in every once in a while just to see like what people are talking about. And the other day. It was like I think I think maybe you hadn't watched the Utah uh, the Utah game yet or something, and then I just saw your your comment and it was just talking about how Schroeder can be so negative to the team. I'm like, man, Adam, you got to come around on Schroeder, man. He nah, plays nah. so well today. Like, yeah, just, but I had not watched yet. that, game,
0: and I put after I haven't watched that game yet. But I was more along the lines of like he was a very very bad piece against the 76ers. Yeah. And I think that, like you know, and I think that's the problem with Schroeder, right? Like you're gonna get the very best of him and the very worst of him in the space of a week, and I'm just like, I'm, I'd rather just like a middle of the road type. Like we don't get the best of you all the time, but we never get the worst of you either. I'm happy with that midway consistency. That's just you know, I know what I'm getting every night rather than this roller coaster. But um, but yeah, in my opinion, if Bran could kind of absorb Schroeder's usage, which he will because Schroeder will go back to the bench. That will mm-hmm. just naturally happen. But he needs to play the way Schroeder has been the last few games. Again, engaging the defense, hitting the cut out, being the guy to make the off-ball drives. And I think that's just gonna take time. I don't think Bran's like incapable of it, but I do think that he's 10 games behind everybody else now.
1: Yeah, and I don't know when he's gonna come back from that hamstring, man. He did not look good in the games that he was back and then when he grabbed it in the Philly game i think it was the Philly game it was just like ooh that that's not that's not a good sign for jb and then like when they say he's not going to play until he's 100% healthy like are we even going to see him in december like i don't even know man like he had 2 weeks off to get that thing right and it wasn't right So, like, maybe we don't even see him until around Christmas. I'm just speculating here, but he didn't look good at all, man. Like, that was the worst I've seen Jalen Brown play play in a long time. The
0: problem is it's not just a ramp up in fitness at that point. I mean, Marcus Smart had a great quote the other day, and he was like, you go, and I've said this on the last podcast as well. Marcus Smart was like, if you go to college to get a degree for a very specific job, and then you work in that job for five, six years. And then all of a sudden you have a new bus and the bus is like, everything you've done, everything you learned, we're not mm-hmm. doing that anymore. We're doing it this way. It's going to take a while to learn how to do it that is where You're not going to be great at it because everything you've learned is now, it's null and void. It's not, it, It's not. You're putting it in the trash and you're rebuilding from yeah. scratch. And uh, I think that with Brown, the one thing people are going to have to remember is this isn't just going to be a ramp up in fitness. This is going to be, a like ramp up in fitness plus playing catch up to the development in terms of schematic understanding that everybody else has that you haven't had the chance to piece together because unfortunately you've been injured and that's for no fault of his own but fitness will play a part but it won't be the biggest part in brand like hitting a, an all-star level again on this roster
1: yeah for sure
0: and what was your uh, fun stat of the week yeah, <laughs> we're running late here today. Uh so I had one. It was a bit it was a bit different. So I, I found this really interesting. So as of last Sunday, we record these episodes on a Sunday. As of last Sunday, Marcus Smart as a, as a point differential. So when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor, right? So with Marcus Smart on the floor last Sunday, the Celtics were 16.4 points better off. So they were conceding, let me put it up. They gave up seven point eight points less per one hundred possessions with Smart on the floor, and they scored eight point six points more with Marcus Smart on the floor. Yeah. Now the Celtics have had a good week, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there was really a bad loss in there. You know what I mean? I'm, would you say there was a bad loss in there? Win, win, loss, we loss. We were no, three think, and one, right? Yeah, so we were three and one on the really week. good week, and the one loss that was there was a good loss in my opinion. It wasn't a <laughs> loss. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was so funny because
1: you and Will on the last pod were talking about like winning against the Sixers and win ugly and Will was like whoa would you would you prefer that they play really well but lose and then the next game was literally that you know we have a, like our best offensive game in the season but the Jazz just but
0: you know, I, yeah I mean I, I felt a lot better about the Utah game than I did about the Philly game mm-hmm. you know yeah, what I, no, mean? I mean the, the Utah game was insane dude like every every single shot
1: that I mean, Mike Conley was seven for seven from three like, what yeah. when does that happen
0: He's that was so wild, right. dude. And then Donovan Mitchell just took over. So fast mm-hmm. forward a week for Marcus Smart, right? So last week, mm-hmm. 16.8. That's what I said, right? 16.8. 16.4. This week, fast forward a whole week, the, the, the team are only plus 7.9 with him on the floor. They're giving And this isn't just in a week span. This is for the season. So like a lot's changed. And considering they've won three times, right? Now when Marcus Smart's on the floor, they're giving up minus... So they're allowing 1.3 points with smart on the floor, they're actually worse off with him. They're 1.3 points worse, worse with smart on the floor defensively than they are with him off the floor. But offensively they're still plus 6.6 points. So there's just been a huge like um a huge flip in how beneficial smart has been to the team, which is crazy because I think smart has been the best version of himself over the last three weeks. And there is nothing I have seen that would make me think He's being a detriment to this team, and he's not. He's still in the positives. I mean, I'll read it out. You've got Ennis Cancer, Robert Williams, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Langford, and Richardson. Those guys are the only guys that are statistically a positive, right? Dennis Rodad, you're losing two point two points per hundred possessions with him on the floor because you're just allowing you're just allowing a bit more. Um, Peyton Pritchard, the same. We could go on, but I think that what's happened is smarts usage rate has improved increased a little bit because he's doing more in the post he's doing more on defense like bringing the post. ball up a little bit plus i just think that what's genuinely happened is there's been higher scoring games when there's higher scoring games your point differential is going to dramatically change because all of a sudden you've gone from holding teams to 80 points 90 points to so the last two games have been ridiculously high scoring and if smarts on the floor while a bunch of those points are getting put up like it was against utah when they're just draining freeze on everybody regardless that's really going to affect your points per possession on defense do you know what i mean yeah that's so, what i was
1: going to say i was going to say if you throw the utah game out there uh, out of that sample size i wonder what those numbers actually are yeah, i think that I utah game I was, was such an that. outlier yeah i don't i don't know how, i don't know how to do that but just to
0: remove that one game i wish i could but i think that that utah game really impacted him but all this to say like I'm a big guy and like, you know, over a large enough sample size, stats will tell you a large amount of the details you need to know. Mm -hmm. And then you can go and do your film work afterwards, right? I generally do film and then do stats because I like to have my opinion and then see if the numbers back it up rather than get a preconceived opinion and then go look for it. I think that's a, a backwards way for me personally. But the one thing I will say is the opinion I've got of Marcus Smart right now is He's a he's a positive on this team and at point plus mm-hmm. seven points. So he's the team at eight points better per one hundred possessions with smart and the floor than us. Last week there were seventeen points better. I mm-hmm. think that a large part of that is just that Utah game. But man, this guy has been exceptional in that point guard role.
1: I love it, man. I love because like coming into this season, I mean last year I, I wrote an article for um, I forget which website I wrote it for, but I wrote an article. Before we gave um, before we gave up on Kemba at the beginning of last season, I said it's time Marcus Smart to be the point guard of the Boston Celtics. And the whole thing was just like Smart. It, it, in, in the article, the thesis of it basically is Kemba Walker's knees aren't going to be healthy ever again, right, which ended up being true. And that Marcus Smart has always been asked to be a two guard and it necessitated him taking a lot more shots because there was a point guard on the floor. So he had to be a floor spacer give him the rock and see what he can do because he's a great passer. Just in general, he has a really high IQ, runs a good pick and roll, has good lob chemistry with Robert Williams and Al Horford. Like I think he can do it. And I think what has unlocked him is the fact that more people are playing within Eme system and he understands what Eme system is. And as we mentioned earlier, he looks a step and a half faster than he did ever in his career because he he has such a high IQ He's starting to see the play happen before he gets it. Like I remember, like my dad when I was growing up playing playing baseball. He would always tell us in little league, like, think about when if the ball gets hit to me, what am I going to do? So that when the ball gets hit to you, you're ready to do that thing. And it seems like that's what Marcus Smart is doing. Like the moment he's catching the ball, he already sees what the play is gonna be for himself, and he just like realizes it, you know. And he's flying off of those off of those. um uh, 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 catching and, catch and drives, it actually reminded me of when I was watching the Chicago Bulls play this week. I was like, all right, are the Bulls for real? Like, Let me just tune in and watch some of their games. Everybody on that roster flies on the catch, man. They, they're they like shot out of a cannon. And I was like, man, I wish the Celtics could do that. And then the last couple of games, they did it. And Marcus Smart is one of those guys where he reminds me a lot of what Caruso is is for the Bulls where he's, a, he's like an unbelievable defender, and then just when he catches the ball on offense, he's just making things happen. But Smart's better than Caruso on the offensive end, and his IQ is just so high that he, as he's making that initial drive to the basket – there's like three options at all times for him. And he's seemingly making the right read every time as well. And then he's just getting better at finishing through contact around the rim. Like the couple um, little bank shots he had last night off the glass. I think he had two driving into someone's body and hit a little, like one footed bank shot off the glass. Like you're starting to see that Marcus modern, though he's not the best three point shooter, isn't a bad shooter, right? He has good touch. He has, he's a good float. He has a good post game. He's not a bad free throw shooter. So, like, it, it's nice to see him unlocked within Ime's offense because he's – you're right, man. Like, the eye test will tell you Marcus Smart has been a positive on the court, and I think the numbers are are probably going to start going back up towards that 17 mark versus the 9 mark or whatever they are because he's, yeah, and he's, I mean, he's if, been one of the best players.
0: Even a 9 mark is a great mark to be at. Like, if we're being honest with you, like, your presence on the floor is making the team almost – you know, the better part of 10 points better per 100 possessions. So, you know, you being on the floor, you're adding 10 points on the board straight away. Whether you score them, assist on them, or stop them on defense, you're still providing that 10-point value. Now, that's a huge value, man. And um, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, he's flying around the floor more. His decision-making just looks impeccable. I think that um one of the biggest things for me with Smart is the way that he's embraced that post role. Where yeah, he's getting so into the post man, and then facil- yeah, just facilitating out of the post. Like obviously he knows he's not gonna body guys there. Of course, hat tip to that Duncan uh, Go Bear because he did body somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> then he meme mugged real real hard.
1: That was great. That slow mo is unreal.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, that post work that he's done, the way he's embraced that, and I think that's one of the things about Marcus Smart. Right, like he will do whatever you ask him to do if he truly believes it's gonna benefit winning. It's if if he thinks it's gonna um, impact winning on a high level, he's going to do that for you. So, and we're not seeing the heat checks. We're not seeing the stupid shots. We, obviously there's times where he has to, you know, some uh, uh, sometimes the ball's going to get in his hand with three seconds left on a shot clock just because it swung around that much is landed in Smart's hand. And then you're going to have to fire a shot and it's going to probably be a bad shot. But guess what? Anyone who got their ball at that point is going to have to do the same thing. I think his shooting numbers are quite bad at the moment, but I don't think they're terrible. I still think they could tick upwards again. I think he's got plenty of time to go on a bit of a scoring run, and Marcus Smart usually finds a way in the second half of the season to up those shooting averages a little bit. Um, I, as I'm, a I'm pretty player, sure since like November
1: he's shooting close to 45% from the field.
0: This is what I mean, and as the season goes on, it'll probably get up to a like lot close to a 50% true shooting percentage or 55% true shooting. And then like for me, my biggest thing is like, a, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. I've completely lost my train of thought. We'll move on. Let's <laughs> we'll move on. We got we got one more
1: thing uh, to do here in this new format. We're just gonna pick each of us pick a winner and loser for the week. Okay, okay. So, so you want
0: to go first or me?
1: Yeah, sure. And I'm gonna go with the loser first, um, and we'll end with something positive. So that my loser, even though he didn't play like a loser, is Romeo Langford um, spraining that ankle when he sprained that ankle against the Jazz. Right when he started to figure it out, is just like so Romeo, right? He had three great drives to the basket. He was playing with so much force. His defense looked great. And then all of a sudden, he sprains his ankle on a freak play trying to do a Euro step when he probably should have just given the ball to Jason Tatum, right? He probably should have just driven the ball and given the ball to Tatum to finish for the flush. Makes a bad decision, tries a Euro step, and sprains his ankle. And I don't know when we're going to see him again, but I just hope that this doesn't hurt all the confidence that he's had this year because he's playing with so much confidence and that's the way i he's spraying his ankle well. it's Romeo. That was your loser?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it was the main loser, right? Yeah. Uh I'll have to pivot now. Do you want to do your winner then? Well, I, you
1: yeah. So my winner is Peyton Pritchard just because you of last night. Off me, man.
0: You've <laughs> <him off me. laughs>
1: well hey dude, I'll let you talk about Peyton Pritchard then. No, no, you talk about Peyton Pritchard.
0: I've got to try and find a winner and loser now.
1: Okay. Well I mean, dude it, Peyton Pritchard's had the worst season of like anybody with the, can, when you compare it to the expectations that we had for that guy coming in. Like maybe you could say Aaron Nismith, but Pritchard hasn't even seen the court. You know, at least Nesmith's had some moments. Pritchard's barely been on the court. And when he's been on the court, he hasn't shown any confidence. And for him to be back home in Portland and to have that moment where he drops 16 points in the fourth quarter and has the viral moment where he hits that step back three and then the bench goes crazy, literally to the point where they get a technical foul. That had to feel so good for him, man. And like with this trip, with another back to back against the Lakers and Clippers Wednesday, Thursday. I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I would expect Ime to shorten his rotation against the Lakers and then probably open it back up against the Clippers on the second night of the back to back. That kind of seems like what Ime likes to do, and that's when he likes to get into his benches on the second night of back to backs. So hopefully, Pritchard gets one more chance. On this trip, in order to make a difference, because you gotta, you gotta capitalize on that, man. When when a guy has, is feeling good about himself, put him back on the court the next game. I don't know if Ima is gonna do it, but hopefully he gets another chance because he he was a huge winner for me last night.
0: I love the way the uh, the team got teed up for celebrating that. For a time. <laughs> they <laughs> a had to bit. resuscitate Dennis Schroeder. It was amazing. Oh man, it was so good. So I, this is on the fly. As I said, you stole my winner and loser. So loser for me, Jalen Brown. I think that that's quite obvious. You know, everybody else is uh, adopting Udoka's scheme now. They're figuring it out. They've had the reps, and they feel very confident. I feel like Jalen Brown also isn't getting the confidence that's coming with playing the way the Celtics are. Like I said, even though even losing against the Utah Jazz for me is a confidence-building game because you played the right way you, and you you stuck to that game plan even when things were getting tough, and you trusted in that scheme. So I think Jalen Brown's the loser there just because he could have really benefited from this experience too in terms of, like, understanding the scheme. And then my winner is going to be Aaron Neesmith. Um They used him as a movement shooter, man. They got him peeling off screens, catching on the move, and then just rising and firing. And guess what? They started falling. Shock. Are you shocked? I'm not shocked. No. Nope. Because that's who Aaron Neesmith is. And again, similar to Pritchard, I feel like, you know, he he's shown you that if you play him in a position, in a in a role that's the right word if you play him in a role that he actually feels comfortable in he can be a vis- very successful piece for you you know he got a couple of assists his defense was very much based on the intangibles getting hands on balls getting like the de- um getting deflections putting his body under the line, diving for every loose ball he saved a couple of possessions where the the, the um the Portland Trail Blazers could have got out and run and there was one where kind of um there's one where Neesmith dove got the ball and then excuse me, fed it back to one of the Celtics players mm-hmm. and there was another one where he forced a jump ball. So um, I think that Neesmith in like his hustle and the fact that he's starting to show you that, hey, if you just get him to peel off screens, catch and shoot, he's going to be super valuable. Uh, he's a winner. But uh, I wrote this in a piece that comes out tomorrow, I think. But at the end of the piece, I did say like, um, the biggest question for me isn't if, the, if him and Pritchard are talented enough to make an impact. I think we know they are. It's whether Udoka's willing to deepen his nightly rotations to incorporate them enough to actually make that impact and i think that's going to be more confident. Uh, is neesmith or pritchard capable of having another night like they had yesterday
1: yeah and that's the one thing that i'm looking forward to this week right i kind of touched on a little bit as we're ending here is will ime continue this back-to-back idea of, of getting deeper into his bench only on the second night of back-to-backs, or will he be more willing to just get into his bench now knowing that, you know, guys are feeling good? Um, we got a game against the, the Lakers, then a game against the Clippers, Um, I, I personally feel like we should win both of those games, to be honest with you. I think we're the better team Clippers have been playing like trash lately. And I think the Lakers have just been a mess all season. Um, so I, I expect to win both games in LA. I think that is a big ask, but that's what I'm expecting from this team. I think that, you know, since November 1st, we've been one of the best teams in basketball and I I expect that to continue. And then for me, man, that against the Phoenix suns, that is a real measuring stick game, where I don't think it's about a victory. Like I would love to get a victory against the Phoenix Suns, but that is one of those games where it's a perfect measuring stick for this team. Even though they've been playing great basketball of late, how do you match up against the very best in the league? And I think the Phoenix Suns can call themselves the very best in the league right now. So I'm I'm excited for that looking ahead this week. Um, Is there anything you're looking forward to, how we can improve? um, So that next week when y'all join us on Sunday next week,
0: we can kind of check back in on what, what we saw and what we're hoping for this week. No. So for me, it's just like in court. So the Celtics have been running and Schroeder said this as well after yesterday's game, uh, after the Blazers game, the Celtics have been running a bunch of wing actions. If anyone read my piece that came out on Saturday, I wrote a lot about the, the wing actions that they're running. You know they're and uh, they're running a lot of wide action as well, just to spread the floor on the transition. But what I'd very much enjoy seeing now is incorporating some veer into that. When you're coming up against a team like Los Angeles Lakers, veer is where, like, so say Horford screen, Tatum brings the ball up, Horford screams to Tatum, Tatum comes off the screen, Horford then goes and sets a pin down. That's veer. It's just two screens off the same guy. But I think that we're seeing so much happen on the wings now that against a team like the Lakers, where a lot of their defense is going to come on the interior because of the size they have setting up using via there so running a wing action and then veering off and setting a pin down on the weak side to initiate a second side action that's going to be super versatile and like um super impactful against a team that struggles to defend on the perimeter like uh in my opinion some of the lakers best perimeter defenders are struggling for health or they haven't played at all this season and kendrick none. Um, so if you can run just that little bit of a a wrinkle in your offense just to get shooters lifting on the weak side for when you do swing the ball onto that second side for the action then that's going to be enormous and that's the only thing I'm really looking for at the moment everything else is flowing great man
1: agreed agreed well Celtics end this week three and one Uh, next Sunday we'll be checking back in with everybody just uh yeah, yeah, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, but
0: hopefully, we'll uh have another week in which the Celtics come out with the winning record, man. And until then, if anyone's enjoyed this show, please make sure you share it with your friends. Leave Uh, if you're on an Apple device, hit that subscribe button. It says follow now. Actually, hit that follow button, hit that five star review, write nice things, make me, Greg, and Will smile. If you're using Spotify and you're, we're on your Spotify unwrapped and you've enjoyed it and you're listening to it regularly, share us with us, man. We want to see where we rank in your podcast listening and now. If you don't have Apple, you can't leave a five-star written review. So my boy Greg is going to tell you what you need to do. Yeah, just like talk about
1: us in every situation to the point where people are like, "Why are you talking about Boston Celtics right now? Like, you're you're not even a Celtics fan." Well, hey man, like just talk about the Celtics in every situation you find yourself in. You know, you could be in an Uber, you could be picking up a pizza, um you could be in an intimate woman uh, intimate moment with your loved one, just mention how Adam and Greg and Will are just really <laughs> bringing it on the Celtics Pod, uh, Celtics Blog Podcast, and then um you know, that will really they'll really get the mood going. <laughs>
0: Get in the mood <laughs> <laughs> right, everybody. You've been listening to the Celtics Blog podcast, and we we'll catch you again on Wednesday if you listen live. If you want to watch it live, then you can catch it on Tuesday on Facebook on the Celtics Blog page. We usually go live around about 4 p.m. Eastern. Until then, we bid you farewell. We've ran about 15 minutes longer than usual, so you've really had a good start to your Monday.
1: Peace, everybody. And disrespecting
0: you, haters. I ain't sweating. You're
1: repenting. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the